Welcome to HCMA Off the Record, your behind-the-scenes look and listen into the world of emergency management. This podcast is brought to you by Muriel Bowser, Mayor of Washington, D.C., and the District of Columbia Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency. From preparedness tips to intra-agency coordination to advice from the men and women responsible for protecting the district, HCMA Off the Record shares it all. Whether you're an EM nerd like us or learning about emergency management for the first time, come along for the ride. Hello and welcome back, everyone. We hope you had a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving with great food and loved ones in your household. And all that were able to sit around a socially distanced table, even in smaller numbers, are thankful for that blessing. However, there is a segment of our population that does not have those same options. And this week, We'll be discussing this population and how the district will address their needs during the winter season. We're going to be doing that with the director of DC's Department of Human Services, Laura Zeilinger, and Melvin Smith, the Homeless Services Outreach Coordinator for the DC Department of Human Services. Director Zeilinger, thank you very much for joining us today. And how was your Thanksgiving holiday? Oh, thanks for asking. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I uh, certainly missed being close with my immediate family and my siblings and nieces and nephews, but at the same time, uh, experiencing a lot of gratitude as well. Absolutely. And um, and before we jump into the district's outreach uh, to vulnerable residents this winter season, uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about how long have you been in your role as director of uh, DHS and how did you get started in the human services field? So I've been a director at the Department of Human Services um, pretty much since the beginning of Mayor Bowser's term in office, so since January 2015. And I uh, am an attorney and uh, got started in human services and government really because of my interest in public interest law and, um, and civil rights. And so I had the opportunity to really in a variety of different roles uh, work uh, on behalf of people uh, to advocate for social justice and equity. I was with DHS um, as a deputy about 10 years ago, and then in the Obama administration uh, at the United States Interagency Council on Homelessness uh, before coming back to join uh, Mayor Bowser's team. And so I'm uh, just really fortunate to be able to do, um, be in a career that provides a lot of meaning and where I can work with phenomenal people. Thank you very much, Director. That's that's just great background, I think, for a lot of people who are listening and might want to get involved or get started in the human services field. Can you give us an overview of the district's vulnerable groups? And, and related to that, what role does DHS play in advocating and caring for them? I will say that um, people, we often think about people who experience homelessness, people who are living in poverty as vulnerable. And and we see that in health outcomes and in various ways that people are more vulnerable, but they're also very resilient and have a lot of strength. Uh, so we're a large agency and we serve a third of district residents through our program. There's uh, There are 1,200 very talented and the most committed group of public servants I've ever been around charged with uh, supporting residents to be able to achieve their potential by providing meaningful connections to uh, work, but also the economic assistance and supportive services that enable a um, 
enable them to achieve their goals. So we um, we serve people who um, with uh, TANF, so temporary assistance to needy families, front cash assistance, essential nutrition supports through the SNAP program, eligibility for Medicaid and subsidized childcare, as well as a lot of direct service and services for our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, and we're really, we're really proud of that work. I think particularly um, in the space of TANF, um, where we've implemented a complete overhaul and reform of our TANF program using a forward thinking approach to TANF that really empowers families to set their own goals and to access the services that really recognize the interconnectivity between parent and child well-being and ensure that families have the support that they need and are not cut off from vital assistance based on an arbitrary timeline. Uh, so our orientation across our programs is to take a systems approach to improving the way our programs serve our residents and recognizing the strengths that they come with, the uh, what they want for their families and their and for themselves and the similarities uh, with all residents of the district, but understanding that access has been different and really trying to support them in navigating what is available to uh, bridge that. So we think about ourselves on a social justice mission at DHS and the way that our programs operate. Um, I think people are pretty familiar um, who follow our work with our work on homelessness in particular. And it's also worth noting that in collaboration with our Interagency Council on Homelessness, our ICH, the district's Homeward DC plan um, really aims at really taking a systems approach to um, our work in human services to make homelessness rare, brief, and non-recurring. And since 2015, we've launched a robust homeless prevention program for families and other reforms. I think people know about uh, the Mayor Bowser's charge and realizing that goal of closing DC General and replacing it with small community programs across all eight wards. But I don't think everyone knows that there are 283 families who are in shelter across our programs. And this compares with 853 families at this time in 2015. Certainly, um, you know, the Department of Human Services has a lot of great programs, and, and I know you and your team uh, do a lot of work. And as we enter uh, the cold and winter season, I know that that adds an added layer of um, of complexity to to your programs and your response. And in the winter, I know that the district issues hypothermia alerts. Um, can you talk to us about the hypothermia alert? What triggers it? Um, what does it mean for residents experiencing homelessness? Sure. I'm joined um, by Melvin Smith on my team, who is um, the man behind the scene in ensuring that we're meeting the needs of people and protecting them from the cold. So I'm going to um, let Melvin describe to you our, our work in this space. Thank you, Director. Um, so as, as the question was, um, the hypothermia season is something that we monitor. It's, it's the winter weather that we monitor starting November 1st of each year through March 31st of the consecutive year. And what that essentially means to us is that we provide um, robust services for individuals experiencing homelessness year round, but especially during those winter months when we know it can be really, really cold outside. It can be tough for individuals living on the street. We try to increase the amount of services um, and access to shelter options um, for those who, who don't come into shelter 
on uh, a nightly basis or a year round basis. Essentially, what a hypothermia alert is, is uh, when the weather is thought to be 32 degrees um, or 32 degrees or below, and that's including temperature or wind chill. We monitor the weather daily starting in November um, and work in conjunction with HSEMA um, and uh, National Weather Service. So at least twice a day, um, we will do a conference call with uh, HSEMA and the National Weather Service to determine what the weather forecast is to include the current temperature and a projected temperature over the next 12 hour period um, to assess whether or not the hypothermia alert should be um, called. One of the caveats to the 32 degrees or below is that we are expecting temperatures to be 40 degrees um, and below with at least a 50% chance of precipitation. Essentially what that means is that we know that individuals who are outside for prolonged periods of time don't necessarily need the temperature to go down to 32 degrees before the onset of hypothermia can, can set in and make things really, really difficult for them um, health-wise. Also, um, we try to make sure that we uh, provide the first alert by 7 a.m. each day. Um, and HSEMA is helpful in notifying all of our partners um, at the United Planning Organization and the Community Partnership, which includes our shelter programs, of what the alert status is going to be. Um, when the alerts are called, residents are allowed to call the shelter hotline at 202 399-7093 to get clarity on what the alert status is, to get help with welfare checks, or more importantly, to get transportation and access to shelters. That's very helpful, Melvin, and thank you for that uh, comprehensive response. Um, you know, I imagine that, uh, and Melvin, I don't know if this will go to you or to Director Zeilinger, but I imagine that um, shelters will become uh, crowded much much more quickly because of social distancing. And certainly um, we are in the midst of an unprecedented global pandemic. Um, what adjustments have you made, uh, have you needed to make in providing care to those in need due to the district's COVID-19 protocols? Since the onset of the pandemic, um, Director Rodriguez, we have uh, opened all of our shelters on a 24-hour period. Understanding that many places around the city where um, folks experiencing homelessness would typically go, like libraries, um, community centers, day centers, churches, with all of those programs being closed, we increased the amount of services available in shelter and opened our doors 24 hours so no one had to make a choice of where they would go and where they would find their next meal. Um, as a result of that, we did had to, we did have to decrease the capacity um, in some shelters much more. Um, significant than in other shelters, but with, but holistically, we've had to bring down the everyday numbers um, that we would typically have in our shelter system. We've had to be really creative about how we um, set up our shelters with putting um, visual aids to help ind individuals understand how to keep themselves safe by social distancing. We've had to physically remove beds and move beds so that we can maintain six feet distance we have studied the CDC guidance as well as DC health guidance on a daily basis to make sure that we are exercising every option possible to keep our folks safe. Um, we have made a huge investments in the procurement of personal protection equipment so that our staff and our residents 
um, never have to worry about having a mask. They have hand sanitizer. They have access to meals um, on a daily basis um, that are grab and go. So we try to reduce and eliminate every instance possible of any of our consumers having to congregate or being close quarters unnecessarily. We also have been working with our homeless shelter transportation system. Um, they have been providing on-demand transportation to shelters, being as though we have so many of our locations open 24 hours. I think that the other thing that might be worth noting, Director, is that we have taken a proactive approach to keeping people safe. So not only by the uh, conditions that Melvin described in our shelters, but also understanding that we have a lot of people within our homeless services system who physically have risk factors based on their age and their health that would make them of enhanced risk should they contract COVID. So we've opened a program using hotels to provide shelter with um, in hotel rooms for individuals who are at that heightened risk. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and I think that um, that's a great segue uh, to our last question when we stay on the COVID uh, topic, but as an agency that provides critical care and services, again, to our most vulnerable uh, residents spanning a, a variety of different uh, residents, you know, we're nearing uh, almost 10 months in this pandemic, and it's had a large impact on our economy. Um, and, and many of our residents, including those that you serve, are concerned, right? They're, they're concerned about food insecurity, rental payments, uh, and their mental well-being. Um, how would what would you say to residents? Um, what do they need to do in order to continue weathering uh, this pandemic, and particularly, you know, in the months ahead? So I think it's important for residents to know that we are thinking about them, and we understand the increased need and the increased uh, vulnerability, and that there are people who may never have had to look to the government for help, who may be struggling right now around food and other assistance, and that assistance is available to them. So we, and, and it's available through um, many electronic means. So we've, um, it, you can access through the DHS website. There is a, we have an online as well as a mobile application where uh, folks can get help with, with food assistance, with cash assistance and other um, benef public benefit programs. And there are also is the pandemic EBT program that replaces meals that children may have gotten at school uh, as well with additional assistance. And we're getting ready to launch the next, uh, the next allocation of that that's available to us through the continuing resolution that the federal government passed on October 1st. And so that will be coming as well as additional food assistance um, in the form of a electronic benefit transfer card as well as rent. We know rent and housing costs are a huge burden on budgets. And when even one member of a household loses income, that that can really impact the ability to pay rent. So through our Emergency Rental Assistance Program, or ERAP, there is rent assistance available. The um, cap for that, as well as the income threshold, and the number of times that an applicant can apply for that in a year um, have changed under the public health emergency. So we would encourage people who need help to um, visit our website and access the help and the resources that are available to them. Thank you, uh, Director. And, and thank you, Melvin, uh, for being with us today for this very important conversation on, on uh, helping our residents in need. And I want to thank our listeners 
uh, for tuning in. As you've heard, the district is always planning and preparing on your behalf. And please visit dhs.dc.gov. Uh, that's dhs.dc.gov to find additional information on what Director Zeilinger and Melvin have shared with us today. And look, we know we're looking at a chilly winter. And so if you see a neighbor or a fellow resident experiencing homelessness this winter, please reach out to our shelter hotline, which was mentioned earlier. You can either do that by calling 311 or 202-399-7093. That's 311 or 202-399-7093. We're wishing all of you the best as we approach the end of what has been an eventful and unprecedented 2020. And as we approach 2021, uh, we do hope uh, for greater times and, uh, and better things. And so thank you very much. Uh, and please join us in two weeks for our next episode of HCMA Off the Record. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Muriel Bowser, Mayor of Washington, D.C., and the District of Columbia Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency.